nations that behave the way America is behaving right now, they are not blessed by God. They are destroyed by God. Welcome to another edition of Insights, the podcast of Forerunners of America, and I'm Dave Warren, the founder of Forerunners. And with me today is Lane Johnson, who we've had with us before. Welcome, Lane. Thanks, Dave. It's always good to be with you, brother. Yeah, I hope we're saying that by the end of this podcast because um, you know we always <laughs> talk, <laughs> we always talk about warning the nation and responding in faith. And today is seriously more weighted on the side of warning the nation. And I feel like this is so important as we start out um, in 2023. Um, but Lane, I think I, I need to remind everybody, listen to this, you and I fundamentally, we've experienced move of God, moves of God. We've seen God cause great fruit to come forth. And like, even though we're warning, we're at kind of more of an, a, a prophet mode today, but you and I, we're fundamentally revival people, right? Absolutely. And the warnings that you and I have given over the years and might even give today, obviously the purpose of that is not just to be a, a stick in the mud saying, whoa, 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 uh, kind of like Jonah to Nineveh. But there is, with both of us, I think, some degree of hope. And, and you and I may not even fully agree on what degree of hope that there is, right, for the future of America. But still threaded in all of the warnings is this hope that the mercy of God will yet lead us as a nation and as a church to repentance, that we might see yet greater fruitfulness instead of being destroyed, the alternative. So. You know, that reminds me of something I have said over the years, and, and I'm, I'm sure you've heard this as well, but um, that we want to um, warn the nation out of a loving heart. That's what the prophets did in the Bible, but also what is the price we're going to pay if we don't see a move of God? Like this should inspire us in light of what we're talking about today. This should inspire us, the threats that are right here, right now in America. This should inspire us to seek God all the more for him to move. Um, so with that said, uh, let's jump into what's on our hearts today. And I, I just want to let everybody know that Lane and I did not talk in advance about, hey, here's the greatest threats coming to America. Um, I asked Lane, hey, Lane, you pray about it. Look at the things. I'll do the same. And then we're just going to come together and have a spontane spontaneous conversation about this. So, Lane, I am going to uh, defer to you and would like you to just share. So what is on your heart in light of threats to uh, to America, to, to our situation, the culture, so forth? Um, as I was thinking and praying through this and studying the scripture a little bit, I... I don't know that my burdens over the years have really changed that much from things that I've thought. And I would also say that I don't know that there's really anything new under the sun. Uh, I was just reflecting again on Revelation uh, 2 and 3 this morning. And even though those are, as you might remember, the specific letters to seven churches, and five of those seven are specific rebukes for those churches. And I know the question kind of is. And I, I text you earlier today, right? said, so is the question, what's the greatest threat to America or what's the greatest threat to the church in America? Um, for the most part, there's overlap in that because as goes, in my, at least in my opinion, as goes the church, so goes the nation. Matt. And as I was reflecting through Revelation 2 and 3, which is what, 2,000 years ago, 
really it's the same issues now that I would be burdened about. Now, again, we could list, and if we had time, we could list 10 to 20 probably threats as we see them. And I'm interested uh, in a little while to hear what you came up with and your thinking that and see what overlap there is or just to see how far apart we are and we, you know, adding different well, I, things to I definitely, that. I definitely want to say there's obvious huge overlap here, even if it's just simply the church um, focusing on the truth. And so we are a conscience to a wayward nation, even if it's only that, although I think it's more than that. We've talked on other podcasts, Salt and Light and all this kind of thing, um, which are super important, but there's clearly overlap. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Dave, as I think through Revelation 2 and 3, uh, I came up with three different things. So let me just mention one to begin with. Uh, in the first church and the last church, I would characterize the greatest threat to the church and therefore to this nation is spiritual apathy and complacency, which is a burden I've always been burdened about for myself personally and scared of because of growing up in church and seeing so much apathy and complacency there. Uh, it's the, the burden I continue to carry even for the churches that I've been a part of over the years, even churches I've pastored. Uh, I remember pastoring a church where I didn't, and sharing the gospel with somebody in the community, I didn't want to invite them to the church I pastored because of the burden of them not seeing biblical Christianity. So the at the very core, really, of, of the threat to the church and to this nation is a spiritual apathy and nominalness that is just extremely sad and grieving. And in fact, let me just say this, and I want to know your comments on what I've said, but um, I was I was just doing a search on Google earlier just to see maybe what others were saying threats were. And it's interesting, and I agree with this, but uh, in one, one website, they suggested that the greatest threat to the American church is the American church. Uh, but, mm. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, okay, we're talking essentially about the Church of Ephesus, Revelation 2, and then uh, beginning of Revelation 2, and then Laodicea, the, the end of Revelation 3. And I believe, as you said just briefly a moment ago, that as goes the church, so goes the country. And and so, well put, um, I, I believe that an apathetic church, a passive church, and really a, a church that some ways just seems to be hiding, um, this is not going to go well for the whole nation. And so if God's representation on earth is Christians, the church, and we're not a bright light, the light of the world, it's just not going to go well for the nation. And plus, I think just to unpack a little bit more, um, it's yes, it's the light, it, it, but it's got to, we got to be clear here about the truth getting out. It, it's like there's no conscience in the nation, as I just said a moment ago. If the truth is not getting out, and what I'm concerned about is there's so many biblical topics that God cares about. We know that because these topics are in the Bible and in the church. Often we're not saying anything about them. Therefore, the church becomes compromised. Therefore, the, the church is not a force within the culture. Absolutely. And there are, you know, there are a lot of reasons for that. The, I, I guess one of the questions that we've always got to really delve into when we deal with the church and then its effect upon the nation and the spirit. And because, again, the, the connectivity there is that you and I have grown up in a culture where we read these reports, we read our history, we read what others say about our history. 
and talk about us as a Christian nation or not. And Pew Research or other others, uh, Barna and stuff, are showing that over the last years and what the perspective of the next few years is, is that we're going to become less and less and less, quote, Christian, right? Where there are less people uh, that are even associating themselves with Christianity, right? But you and I would also agree that whether back in the 70s when 90% of the nation would, you know, have some type of attachment positively towards Christianity, or whether it's a perspective that in the next few years, it's only going to be 30 or 40%, you and I think would both agree that really there is only in any of that group, the 90 or the 30 or 40, only a small remnant that are truly followers of Christ. And unfortunately, it's all the others that are not being dealt with in a biblical way that are, I believe, painting the picture of what Christianity is and its negligible impact upon this nation so that the nation has stones to throw at us, right? And part of the destruction of the nation is the lack of light within the church that is, as you were just talking about, presenting truth that sets people free. So let's just highlight these two churches as you, you specifically, we have the Ephesian church lost its first love. Then we have the Laodicean church that's lukewarm, obviously clearly lost its first love, but it's more clear in the Laodicean church that what they've done is they've replaced love for Christ in a propelling, a compelling relationship with Christ with things of the world. And it actually says there that they feel like they do not need a thing. Talk about a yeah. knife to the heart of the American church right there. And these are, uh, I would agree, some of our biggest threats starting right in the the, the church. So, Lane, okay, S second, did you got another threat? Uh, yeah, the other thing that is mentioned more than one of those churches, at least two of those churches, is this thing of what I would call false prophets or idolatry, um, false teach. We'll just say false teaching. Um, we have to say that one of the reasons for the apathy and complacency of the church is the influence of of lack of truth, of falsehood that is so predominant out there. Uh, and man, I mean, that you know, there are endless things that we could talk about with that. But the undermining of truth at the basic level, uh, the Lord has granted me the, the opportunity this coming Sunday, Lord's Day, to preach uh, at the church that I attend and Part of that reference of what our pastor is going through is Zechariah right now, 13 and 14. In the beginning of Zechariah 13, it talks about how the Lord is going to put away all idolatry and is going to put away all false prophets. And then I was doing just some cross-referencing back to Deuteronomy 13, where that's where the command was to stone false prophets, even if it's your brother or your son or a relative, or a friend, or a neighbor, if that's true, and you're related to a false prophet, you were supposed to be the first one to cast a stone, actually, at them. That, those are serious matters, right, of, of false prophecy and idolatry. Well, then I go to what Jesus said in what I consider the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount, and how does he end the Sermon on the Mount other than by saying, beware of the false prophets, the sheep, the, the wolves that come to you in sheep's clothing that come in. And why is that such a big deal? Because there's only a few that enter through the narrow gate into the kingdom. There are many, 
that say, Lord, Lord, right? Many that are somehow attached to spiritual things, but it is only the few that are actually getting into the kingdom. And that's why truth matters <laughs> completely. It's necessary, right? And we're a society that is full of tolerance towards anything and everything. Whatever you believe is right for you, whatever I believe. And, you know, we used to live in a society where at least it was agreed upon. If the Bible said something, then that must be true. Uh, and then we could debate exactly what that meant. So, but now there's we have no no foundation for even agreeing on what truth is, even in the church. I don't think the church is detecting, many Christians are detecting when you have a false prophet on your hand. I mean, clearly the theme throughout all of scripture, when you have a prophet, is they're calling the people uh, to repent and they're calling people out on sin issues. And these prophets in the Bible do that throughout the whole nation. Now, of course, we're kind of focusing here on Revelation 2 and 3, which is the church, but these prophets were bold. I mean, Let's even go back to somebody we don't typically think of as a prophet, and that would be Noah, but he was known as a preacher of righteousness, saw almost no fruit, but he was addressing the people broadly, everyone. So uh, we need to be doing this within the church, and I think this is a huge mistake that either uh, true prophets aren't allowed to have a platform within the church today, or or whatever the issue may be, but the call to repentance right within the church, as you said a moment ago, five out of the seven churches were called to repent of specific sins. I believe that that's a message for us today within the church. And then also more broadly, that we we have prophets that are talking about a bright and rosy future for America and are, are, are basically throwing around empty phrases like, well, you know, it's got to get darker before the light shines. And it's like, but there's no call in that to repentance. I mean, there could actually be truth there that that things will get dark. And then uh, as we humble ourselves, pray, seek his face, turn from our wicked ways, then, and we're truly repent from the heart, then there is a move of God. But it's like we're bypassing all the things that the scriptures clearly teach, even clearly in Revelation 2 and 3, and what we're doing is just pa painting a, or making proclamations of just this wonderful future ahead for America. This is a huge problem. Nations that behave the way America is behaving right now, they are not blessed by God. They are destroyed by God. And I don't think we're getting that in the church. No, we're not. I, I rarely ever hear that. Um, things are just kind of rolling along, which goes back to the whole spiritual nominalness and apathy and complacency. We do not have a vision of a very big God doing very much at all. And so we just seem to be content with so little. Um, and even that is being taken away from us by the false teaching and lack of zeal and passion for Christ. So we're content, what you're saying, I think, is that we're content with a smaller God and we're not used to him doing very much and all that is true, obviously, I agree. But it's also like we we just don't seem to sync up with his holiness. Like these are not issues to be trifled with. And that's why Jesus is warning those five churches. These are not issues you trifle with. God will judge the church according to Revelation 2 and 3 and according to 1 Peter 4. The judgments begins in the house of God. You have to take these issues seriously. Absolutely. So within the church and within our culture, right, and within the media, anytime somebody comes out 
and speaks against sin and truth, they are painted as some anomaly and some unloving person and some unkind person, some radical far, almost comparing a truth speaker with radical Islam and that they're the problem. Uh, and if you really love somebody, then you would accept it, et cetera, et cetera. And so that is all part of the false prophecy that's that's going on, the false prophets within our culture, false prophets within the church. And you can read a thousand articles on how we ought to be more loving, kind, tolerant, et cetera, et cetera, to the neglect, as you just mentioned, of whoa, whoa, whoa. The, the basis by which we begin is that God is holy, holy, holy. And he has called the church to be set apart. And he calls everybody into right relationship with him, which involves always repentance, right? It involves change, a change of course. And that is something that we have been unwilling to do. We could talk about these things all day, Lane. Uh, but I want to ask, do you have another threat that you see coming against the church slash America? Yeah, the, the third one would be just the degree of growing immorality that we have seen over the last, well, during our lifetime, but it has been, um, you know, exponential in these last few years, not with just homosexual marriage, but now, it's, and you and I have kind of discussed this in other contexts, but the whole trans, transgender thing, and it just, on and on we go to just, I want to say weirdness, but it's perversion, uh, and when you have a culture that has such a low, I mean, you know, I, what I expect now when I'm talking to somebody is that they're living with somebody. There is such a low view of marriage. Marriage is an afterthought. Uh, and then it's considered whether we really want to or not get involved that deeply. Whatever. The problem is that even within the church and the younger generation, there is, a, I believe, a majority of those that would even say, that it's not wrong to live together before you get married kind of thing. And so we see this downward spiral of moral issues and decadence and things that are just perverted within our society that are even creeping into the church. And what we see, in, again, in Revelation 2 and 3 is this call to repentance and how there is even a threat of Jesus to a particular church. So if you don't deal with this and if you don't repent, repent I'm going to come strike you. Uh, and there's going to be some that are going to even die in this from the from the hand of the Lord. Well, if he's saying that to the church, how much more is it going to be true of the nation uh, who is not involved with him and just rejects him in every way? Again, the, the only hope for the nation that I see is for the church to first repent in these things in hopes that it will then influence by being salt and light to the nation. But Yeah, well... Um, because now you're starting to hedge in something that I'm highlighting as a threat. I think I'm going to transition us um, as these are some of the top threats that I see. And honestly, it was hard for me to whittle this down to just a few lane. I feel like America is in a very, very vulnerable situation. And um, so I want to transition. But before that, I, I just do want to mention that while we're talking about threats to America, uh, things that sowing seeds, they're not going to turn out well, as well as things that lead us into a season of divine judgment. And it can be devastating judgment when you read the scriptures that we do want to talk before we close today about responding in faith, even though that's not our main aspect of this today. I, I do want to 
uh, give everybody uh, a little hope here as we're li listening to this podcast that we are going to look talk a bit about responding in faith, at least by the time we're concluding this. With that said, um, I'm I'm looking at at a few threats as well, and I want to share one of them and then another, and then I think I want to say what I believe is the greatest threat to America, mm -hmm. and so I want to get your responses to these. So, Lane, on the first one. I believe one of the biggest threats, um, again, starting within the church, but to all of American culture, is inclusivity. And that's what you were just starting to highlight and go down that path. In terms of every perversion that's out there, if you're not uh, sharp with the scriptures and strong in faith, you're just going along with a narrative. And what we're doing is we're building bridges to evil. Christians cannot do that. This is a huge threat. And again, we're not going to be the conscience to the nation if we're mm -hmm. if we're doing that. And we're not even speaking on these issues. And specifically, of course, if you've been reading anything on the internet for the last couple of years and, and longer, of course, but it's that it's inclusivity specifically related to LGBTQ issues. And, um, and maybe I, before jumping into that, in, in a bit more depth, I want to uh, go back to, Lane, you were just highlighting uh, marriage and such a low regard for marriage. And just here recently, uh, the Senate passed and the House, of course, and then uh, President Biden uh, signed into law the Respect for Marriage Act. And and we're not going to get into that. I, I did that a little bit before, but you know, some people have, have probably rightly renamed it, calling the Disrespect for Marriage Act. And I believe that this is going to destroy America, both this low regard for marriage, God's institution for family, et cetera, as well as coupled with promoting LGBTQ. So right now I want to play a, a, a clip of, of President Biden here um, just, uh, just right before uh, Christmas when this was passed and he's signing this into law. And let's hear what President Biden said. Marriage equality for LGBTQ Americans. And today we celebrate our progress. From Hawaii, the first state to declare that denying marriage of same-sex couples is unconstitutional, to Massachusetts, the first state to legalize marriage equality for couples like Gina and Heidi, who just you just heard from. To all the advocates, <coughs> excuse me, who worked to block or overturn state bans, as you heard earlier, Vice President Vice President Harris took a stand as Attorney General in California. Talked earlier. Others also spoke out. One of them was my son, Bo Biden, who was Attorney General of the State of Delaware, who filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court in favor of marriage equality and pushed to add gender identity protections into the law as well. <laughs> Folks, racism, anti Semitism, homophobia, transphobia, they're all connected. But the antidote to hate is love. This law and the love it defends strike a blow against hate in all its forms. And that's why this law matters to every single American, no matter who you are or who you love. So when I hear that, I just think of, you know, like this is literally uh, what I'm going to call, not just through the Oval Office and in the legislature, but I'm going to talk here in a moment about public schools, hospitals, et cetera. But this is an LGBTQ takeover of the entire country. And I'm not saying everybody's going to become uh, involved in LGBTQ lifestyles, 
But what's happening is it's becoming mainstreamed at a level where everybody's accepting this. And again, starting with the church, I believe many people at this point within our churches, because they've not heard their pastor teach on it, that I believe they are now, this is being embraced within the church. But this more broadly, in terms of a threat to America as a whole, this is why God judges nations, is when we have hardened our hearts against his will and his ways, and we have completely gone off the deep end. It's like, well, God won't judge people that don't know the truth, and that God's not going to judge uh, uh, Gentiles, and God's a God of love. I and mean, we have all these reasons for saying that, but whether you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, or you look at other times when God poured out his wrath, it is not only to the Jews, but also to Gentiles. It does include whole nations, and God does hold us responsible for what we're doing. I think for me, what's really been on my heart here most recently is that it's a shift in America, a profound shift, I believe, from now, this is accepted as adults, you can have same-sex marriages, as adults, you can decide this, to now our kids are being groomed into yes. this. And it could happen through the entertainment industry and highlighting some things Disney has promoted. I mean, who would have ever thought we live in a country where we have to protect ourselves and our own kids from Disney, but that's where we are. Um, but there's also stuff going on within the schools and, and, and elsewhere where, and I'm like thinking about this from God's perspective. It was grievous enough when adults in mass started to move down this LGBTQ path, but now we're taking innocent children and exposing them. And even the word grooming, I believe it's an accurate word, even grooming this younger generation for antichrist, anti-biblical lifestyles. Absolutely. And that reminds me of what Jesus said to those that came to him, you know, and Jesus made the point that he who stumbling blocks, he, what he said is stumbling blocks are sure to come, but woe to him who is a stumbling block to these little children, for it'd be better that a millstone be tied around his neck and thrown into the, to the sea than to be that stumbling block. And there's a lot of ways to be stumbling blocks, but the thing that you just mentioned is one of the most horrendous, evil, demonic things that I've seen in my lifetime is going after children and trying to corrupt the next generation even early on with such i mean i was against quotes sex education uh, years ago when it was just normal sex education but with the quote education that they're trying to do now with our with the youngest of our population is just blasphemous and are you saying you were opposed to sex education some decades ago because you believe that was the realm of of mom and dad to be teaching that in the home or what were you thinking yeah, exactly. I felt like that's something that we as parents should be doing, not done by educators who I don't know what they're going to say exactly or done in the con in that group context. That needs to be something a little bit more private. That that's why I was against that. But now it's way it's way past that. The exposure of what our children are having at school and elsewhere, it is very hard. Right, it's very hard for us to keep children innocent anymore. Um, evil evil knows that if they can get a if they can get that population, then the next generation has changed, right? And and right. God knows also. That's why I said, instruct your children, raise them up in the fear of God. So when you sit down, when you rise up, when you eat, when you lay your head down to sleep, teach them the commandments of God. 
And we as the church have not done well at that. The world has done better at trying to influence that younger generation. Not getting into a deep dive onto Romans 1 here, but these are the very topics where it said God pours out his wrath. And yeah. that's the word that's used. And we're uncomfortable talking about God's judgment and and national judgment and, and judgment starts within the church and so forth. But this word wrath has really fallen out of vogue. And I just think we don't talk about it because we don't realize that God, because he's good, has to put an end to wickedness, to perpetually let this go on forever without holding people accountable, is evil. That would be, God would be evil to do that. He has to, because he's good, he's righteous, and he wants to preserve his goodness, his holiness, and his purposes. And it's all these things, even God's wrath, are part of God's good plan. And if we don't get this, I'm afraid that we just kind of affirm each other as we're going over the cliff and not understanding what God's purposes are, why we need to be speaking up, why we need to address all these issues, why we do need to warn people. Love warns uh, again. So um, just want to give a couple examples that maybe will help us to get, I guess, this a bit more front and center and how deceptive this is and what's going on right now today. Um, because I'm not going to back off from the word grooming. I actually believe this, and even more so now than I did six months ago or a year ago. But our young kids are being groomed. And so, you know, we heard about this really extreme thing over the last several years, just here and there, usually in public libraries, and that is Drag Queen Story Hour. Let's just stop here for a second. Because somehow I, I don't even understand why we don't address this because this is something happening in a culture that could destroy our kids' lives, culture. Um, uh, the, the church culture needs to be attuned to these things. But a drag queen is a man dressed up as a woman. Okay, red flag. We already have issues here, big issues uh, that violate the scriptures. But then on top of that, they are sexualized in their dress, in their behavior. It's not a neutral thing. And these little kids are getting exposed to drag queens. And you can see this online and elsewhere and so forth. Um, but it's like, uh, it's just growing. And it's actually like drag queens, for example, were excited when President Biden signed into law the, the, um, the Respect for Marriage Act that we just referred to here a few moments ago. Like, the drag queens are becoming an accepted part of culture. And I, I'm highlighting this, not that this is the biggest issue with LGBTQ that we need to be aware of, but if this is growing, well, then what about everything else? And yeah. I think we're inciting um, God to judge us is fundamentally what comes down to this. And again, um, we've talked on previous podcasts that God weighs nations in the balance, that God does judge sin, et cetera. So we can't jump into that. But if this is your first time listening to insights, look at Jeremiah 18 verses seven through 10. It's very clear that God weighs nations in the balance. He's weighing nations in the balance. Now, according to Acts 17 verse 26, he puts an end to nations. Well, why? Well, as we read from Jeremiah 18, it's clear that Paul is talking about the New Testament, that God God does put an end to nations, and it's over these very issues that we're talking about here today. But a specific example, um, uh, this is, was reported um, at notthebee.com, but anyway, they're talking about how uh, public school library drag queen events are kind of passe, and it's talking about 
Um, now we ha are in a world of transgender strip dan dancers mimicking sex, food, uh, sex moves in the middle of the street in front of kids, which happened in New York City. I watched the video. I can put the link here um, to the article in, in the description of, of this. But the point being is that um, this is just out in public now where you could just be walking by with your kids or adults can be affected too, of course. But the point being that that this is just going on in public. And this article just touches on that really drag queen story hour in our public libraries. It's kind of passe. It's just so common. It just happens um, so repeatedly. But the new thing now is just to have those drag queens perform out in public spaces. And then he says this, um, there is grooming, yes, but there's also just straight perversion at play here. And then it goes on to even talk about in a secular article, is America too far gone at this point? Mm -hmm. Well, as sick as that is, to me, it's even sicker that they're the ones that are done in libraries. It's sicker that parents would take their children to that. That's the fact that anybody would show up that an adult would bring a child to that is sick, 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 and evil. Well, it is mind-boggling to me, and I've seen this where kids are actually, their their mom or dad actually hand their kid, in this one case, I'm thinking of like a one-year-old, is handed over to a drag queen, like as if this is somehow in any way, shape, or form normal, when it's actually a perversion. So just going a little bit further with this, I, I, I think it's important, too, that um, we are aware as we um, look at what the threats are in America and what's going on in the future is how this is uh, coming more and more to roost within the public schools. And this is not going away. And there is a narrative out there that I've run into. It's false. It's a lie. But all of this LGBTQ thing, it's not being pushed in our public schools. That is an absolute lie. And I'm going to share one thing here in a second. But also, I know it's a lie because um, I saw the actual document for teachers training in a uh, small town, America, Niles, Michigan. I saw the document of, of the teachers training just from a year ago, and it was half of everything they did all day long was LGBTQ related inclusivity. And how do you express that? And now the, they're taking another step further. And it's talked about um, in this article uh, put out by the Daily Signal, it says CDC urges teachers, administrators, school nurses to adopt LGBT curriculum in, and endorse transgender identity. And th this is happening at a higher level this year in our public schools than it was the year before. And the year before was the, before the year before that, it was more extreme. And so we're going down this path, and I think we need to be really careful here, again, thinking about a biblical backdrop and how God treats nations, how he uh, disciplines nations or destroys nations that go down this path. And anyway, in this article, it talks about that the CDC put it, posted an LGBTQ inclusivity in schools assessment tool. And on this tool, it explains how you can become more inclusive. And as a school administrator, you can rank your teachers or others in the school. Where do they, they line up here? And there's three um, areas that those that are getting this on YouTube, I'll, I'll put this up on the screen. But it says mostly C's, mostly B's, mostly A's. And what does this actually represent? Well, this assessment tool, mostly C, is commit to changes, meaning they embrace 
inclusivity at a minimal level. They're really not advocating LGBTQ, but they're still there. So maybe they still go along with it or they're not speaking up. But whatever the case is, um, this is the group in their view that really needs to grow and mature because they're uh, they're part of the problem. Uh, basically, if you hold biblical values, you're really going to have a fight on your hands. And I know Christian teachers that do right now, and I can't get into that. Maybe we can do another podcast on that. But anyway, uh, that those are the mostly C's. The mostly B's is um, beginning to break through, and they're moderately inclusive. And it says you are working on the building blocks of inclusivity, doing some things that encourage supportive and LGBTQ inclusive environments. But you still have room to grow. You need to work on broadening your horizons further, address your barriers, and expand your efforts further towards being an ally. And that leads us to the third area, which is called mostly A's. Now you're a full-on ally. Can't get into this, but this word ally that keeps coming up in different arenas, this is a Marxist term, and we can't chase that ball today, but, but we've talked about it in previous podcasts. But anyway, it says that they're highly inclusive, and, and it's, this is how it describes that person. This should what everybody within the public school system should aspire to according to this assessment tool. It says this, you are doing great work. You do a lot to support LGBTQ students and work toward an inclusive environment. Keep up your good efforts while also recognizing there's always more you can do. Like all good allies, you will want to continue exploring and learning and share your knowledge with others. So here we are. It's like the 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 LGBTQ doctrine, if I can put it that way, it's like it's hardening. It was maybe in some wet cement, but they're doing everything they can to harden and to completely take this further. Um, even with uh, kindergartners, first graders, LGBTQ flags, the rainbow flag, the songs, and all of these kinds of things are being baked in to our culture and the next generation in a way that we have never seen before. Yeah. It's unbelievably sad, tragic, and bringing judgment. You know, Lane, is there any scriptures that come to mind related to, to this topic? Well, I mean, like I already said, and the, the scripture speaks so much about, and all this is, all this is called immorality in scripture, right? Um, and when I talked about marriage not being held in honor, and everything that's less than that. He, I love this verse in Hebrews 13. It says, let marriage be held in honor by all and the marriage bed and the file for fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. And so everything you just mentioned is not in the context of marriage or adultery or maybe not even fornication. It's just all the perversion that's going to lead to those other things though in their life because it's taking away any inhibitions, moral inhibitions that should be true within a society in order for it to be sustained. And so, well, again, that verse just said, God will judge. Again, when judgments come, how they come, like Romans 1 that you referred to a while ago, like Revelation 2 and 3, where I talked about where God even threatens a church, if they didn't repent, that he was going to bring uh, others to death and to sickness in them. And, um, you know, what, whether we're going to be a Sodom and Gomorrah where God is going to catastrophically destroy us or whether he will bring judgment and wrath like Romans 1 where he just withdraws. To me, that's the worst type of judgment because it's kind of extended over time where you just see the restraints of God and goodness fade away 
so that evil begins to rule and reign. And that is not a world that I I anticipate with any joy or excitement that my grandchildren are going to grow up into. Yeah, and we need to respond in faith here and talk about that a bit more here in a moment. But um, I do want to highlight, uh, um, you know, as we a lot of us have kids, grandkids, and so forth, like how are we going to navigate this? We'll get to that in here just a bit. But um, I do see inclusivity, which is all often anyway, related to LGBTQ issues and how it, it is getting baked into our culture. I do believe that this is a huge threat to America. Even um, Edward Gibbon, who wrote uh, The Decline and Fall of the Roman Empire in the 1770s in that area, he wrote a number of volumes on this. He talked about the moral, or you could say immoral propensities that had helped bring the whole Roman Empire down. And that's sort of a sowing and reaping judgment. I think that God can also intervene um, in terms of a divine, a divine judgment, but again, just a huge, huge threat in in this area. I want to just shift a little bit, and unfortunately, we're, we won't take a lot of time on this. But I actually think another thing that's going to come home to roost within the church, and it's a huge threat right now, is censorship. And I want to tie this yes. specifically into the church and what we're trying to do as Christians. So there's the bigger, broader conversation out there that I, I generally agree with, that we need to have free speech as a First Amendment right. However, um, I want to kind of limit the discussion a bit here. But what really clued me into this even more so, although I think a lot of us have been onto this for a while, that this is going to be a problem for the church, but what really clued me in, in terms of the scope of the problem, is when Elon Musk bought Twitter and how much pushback he's getting to do something that's always been traditionally very American based on the First Amendment. And that's anybody can share anything and we'll let the truth rise to the top. We'll debate in these kinds of things. Um, I just want to pray or uh, play a really brief clip of, of Senator Elizabeth Warren from Massachusetts and how, just listen to this, it's very brief, but listen to how she couches this in this context of talking about Elon Musk and um, and free speech that Elon Musk is trying to promote on his platform. So let's listen to that. Elon Musk is doing just fine. But do you think that users have a right to freedom of speech, even if what they're saying is wrong or offensive? I think that one human being should not decide how millions of people communicate with each other. One human being should not be able to go into a dark room by himself and decide, oh, that person gets heard from, that person doesn't. That's not how it should work. So here we have that situation. Um, where she makes it sound normal almost that we will now throw out the First Amendment and now we we will have groups of people that will decide, you know, have a, a disinformation board as was thrown out some months ago and didn't really uh, take hold, but it seems like those things are still happening. But in different ways, that is, they're still happening. But a disinformation board, like she, she almost makes it sound normal that if you're if you're co having common sense that you should disagree with Elon Musk basically allowing free speech. And I, I see the amount of pushback, not just from her, but I see it from American corporations and others. And I'm like, what in the world is happening here? But my biggest concern, although all of this is concerning, um, I mean, if you don't have free speech, you don't have a free country and all these people being deplatformed de and so forth. Of course, this is a huge issue. But again, within the church, where is this going to lead us? 
do you really think that we can say that Jesus is the only way to God here and stay on platforms? Like, this is where I see this going. I think it's whether we're talking specifically about the gospel or even what the Bible teaches about LGBTQ issues. I believe that the day is coming that this censorship is going to come to, to roost within us in the church, and it's going to take brave, courageous souls uh, that will still speak out the biblical truth. Absolutely. And I know that we've talked within a group of uh, ministers over the years that it wouldn't surprise us if some of us are going to be in jail or prison one day or certainly fine for, quote, hate speech, which is not something I've been hearing about more recently. But certainly we went through a season where that was just kind of planted in our culture of not being able to speak in ways and laws that that are surrounding that, where if we say something that is hateful of others and which is what you're referring to it could be hateful appear hateful that we're saying jesus is the only way right and your way is not the right way well truth always brings division and and so it, it is it is uh, in a human way scary just how prophetic george orwell's 1984 book and and stuff was and, you know in this whole quote i think it was called the ministry of truth right okay. no it was the ministry of it was a ministry to get rid of truth. And that's exactly what we see growing in our society. And it is it is frightening. So that kind of deception coming over us, that it will take, again, a brave soul to speak the truth in a climate like that. I think we're actually already there, that it does take brave Christians to speak into the key issues um, that are most um, at the uh, at the the forefront of, of culture and, and so forth. And again, I want to highlight these are biblical issues. These are Elaine. We did this. Remember in August, we did a podcast. Are these uh, spiritual wars or are they culture wars? Well, everybody dismissed. Well, they're just culture wars. Let them go. Well, actually, if they're in the Bible, they're not just culture wars and dismiss them. Therefore, these are actually spiritual wars. Truth versus lies and. This, if this continues to take hold, this will destroy America, whether we're close to Jesus' return or not. That's not the topic I'm getting into right now. I'm just saying this in and itself will destroy America. Talk about a threat. And so I want to touch on the final threat, the, I believe the biggest threat, but it'll be self-evident once I say it, I believe, and I hope you agree, Lane, or else I'm going to have egg on my face here. But I want to share what I believe is the biggest threat of all of everything you shared, Lane, and and what the two that I've the two threats I've shared so far. And then I do want to get us just a, a touch on the practical side and responding in faith. Okay, our biggest threat, I believe, to America right now, I believe it is God Himself. And it's kind Absolutely. of odd. I kind it's kind of odd because um, He's also our greatest hope. Right? Well, obviously, yes. But when I look at America's rebellion, so many, many layers of it going on for so many decades. And I again, I'm saying this is a revival guy. I love to see God move. I love to see the enormous fruit that comes forth during seasons like that. But I believe that right now where America's at, our greatest threat is God himself. And just read throughout the scriptures of how God treats nations that behave the way America is behaving. I think you got that phrase from me, Dave. I think I said that before you did a few years ago about hey, God you know being what? our greatest and our greatest hope. <laughs> you know what? Let's be but yeah. clear, clear here. Most of what I'm sharing today, I actually got from you. 
Well, I don't, I, I doubt that, but uh, there, yeah. you and I over the years have discussed so many things and, and overlap, but no, that, that became my burden probably 10 years ago when you and I got away and fasted and prayed and God began to show both of us some different things and stuff, but I became even more um, burdened that our greatest threat was God himself. Everything that we've talked about are the real issues of life that and why God will bring judgment upon us, but they are this, they in a sense become the secondary things because the first thing, the first offense is that we simply are rebellious against God. So we can talk about it in, in number one, number two, number three, the threats, et cetera, et cetera, and 20 other things surrounding it. But wherever we divorce ourselves from what God has said, then we put ourselves in a very dangerous position and the church and we as a nation have put ourselves dead on in the sight of a God that will not allow this to go on and on and on. As you mentioned earlier, he will bring wrath. He will bring judgment, certainly in a final way one day. But before that, what we have seen in all of history, right, is nation after nation after nation has been raised up and nation after nation after nation has been pulled down and destroyed and collapsed. And ultimately that's at the discretion of God. Um, and in light of what you've been referring to about, and I don't want to jump through too quickly, but just, so what is the response of faith? <laughs> no, I might, I might say in a different way, the greatest threat to the nation and the church is God himself. But let me say it a different way. The greatest threat that we have is being unrepentant, right? Because mm -hmm. repentance reconciles all those things. It's not going to mean there aren't consequences, but it brings us back into right relationship with God so that we are so that we are not under his wrath, not under his judgment in in final and horrendous degrees as I as I would see history and and all that, because we read over and over in scripture, right? God is about to destroy a nation, about to destroy people, about to destroy his own people at times. And then they repent. And all of a sudden, God is so gracious and compassionate, he's full of compassion and mercy, right? He, he delights in mercy and compassion. But that comes to the degree and when people truly change and repent and turn from what they have previously held to that has been an offense to a holy God. So a lack of repentance on our part, really, if that's the root issue here of the greatest threat, obviously connected to God, whether he would bless you or judge you um, personally and as a nation, et cetera. But if that's the root, then uh, we are our own worst enemy. That is, if we are hardening our hearts and we are refusing to repent, then really the greatest threat is ourselves because it could be because of our pride. It could be because we enjoy our sin too much. We enjoy the world too much. We're not seeking after God. We're right back to, um, you know, the church in Ephesus. We lost our first love and apparently we don't care. So we don't repent or we're back to Laodicea where um, we're, we're too much in love with the world and too self-sufficient is what that passage points out. And therefore we then, become our own greatest threat. Yes. As James says, friendship with the world makes us an enemy to God, an enmity with God. 
And it's interesting about that in James 4 is that he's talking to Christians. It's like, when are we going to wake up here in the body of Christ? These are serious issues for us as believers. First, huge for us personally and in the church and in our families. But then secondly, there's implications for the whole nation based on how the church is doing, based on how you and I are doing. There are implications for the communities that we're part of and ultimately the entire nation. So you turn the corner lane on um, being practical here and responding in faith. And um, okay, we have got to get low before the Lord. We have got to have a heart searching starting with each of us. Okay. Are we separate from the world? Are we really truly humble and lining up with God and his will and ways and, and his word? Okay. Along with that, um, I think it's just uh, super important to be discerning. Like what actually are we being bombarded with every day in culture? And we've got to immediately recognize it um, as, as antichrist in spirit, antichrist in behavior. And we have got to first reject it for our own lives, but then we have to make a stand. Again, Noah being a preacher of righteousness, we want to be a righteous influence on those around us. But if we're not detecting how evil the world system is, we're just going to live in it. And so anyway, um, whether it's that or something else uh, to respond more practically, uh, please share. No, I would say my my top three things are number one, repent. Number two, repent. Number three, repent. <laughs> I I will throw this out for those, although that there's probably not many that are listening to this that have truly gone that whole way in repentance. But in light of being at least a few out there that are are really in this flow already, I want to give them a practical application, and that is to rather than looking at everything going on as completely hopeless, like you said, the the final divine judgment has not happened yet. We still have today. I just want to encourage everybody to uh, humble themselves and cry out to God for mercy for our nation. As the scriptures teach, if he treats us as our sins deserve, we are absolutely goners right now. But if he will show mercy, there still is hope for the church to get the plumb line straight, for more lost people to come to faith, for our communities to be impacted, for your public school not to teach LGBTQ inclusivity, and on and on and on the list goes. But are we crying out for mercy? To me, this is uh, just so uh, astonishing that the, the situation is what it is, and it's been getting worse for decades and certainly in the last many years. And yet, when can I say I went to a prayer meeting, first a prayer meeting at all that has been called, secondly, uh, uh, one that we actually are spending significant time before the Lord saying, this is what we've done, and crying out for mercy uh, for our own selves, our families, our churches, our communities, and ultimately the nation. Absolutely agree. It, it is greatly lacking. Um, and if we don't get back to prayer and the word and you know i was as you were talking i was thinking of as because you referred to it earlier noah noah the preacher of righteousness and you know we've got a contrast noah who preached all that he could and yet god still brought judgment because they would not respond and repent and then we have a prophet named jonah who didn't even want the people to repent but went and spoke the word and they humbled themselves right and sackcloth and um, and repentance and God showed mercy to a pagan nation that had 
that deserved the judgment and wrath of God also. And so we have we have both in Scripture. We could give multiple uh, examples of both of those. And the difference is repentance. Um, and so I, what I would say to anybody listening is we need to speak truth to other people, to whatever platform God gives us. We need to not be cowardly. We need to not be ashamed of the gospel. We need to speak when there's anything in front of us that is contrary to God and we have a platform to speak into it, to be salt and light. We need to be bold to do that with gentleness and kindness, but with boldness, right? But whether they turn or not, we have to make sure, as you talk about, we'll go looking at ourselves in the mirror. We have to make sure that ourselves are in right relationship with God and that we are not deceived or misled or that we're not friendly with the world to a degree that we put ourselves in a dangerous position in our relationship with God. So for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, right? But I'm still going to speak truth with the hope that God will grant mercy to others as I am crying out for mercy to myself. So do not love the world nor the things in the world. And what do we replace that with? Full-on love for God. Love God first and always. And that is going to help us as well. So in closing, Lane, remind us, we covered a lot of ground here. Remind us of the three threats that you highlighted. False teaching, um, tolerance, uh, which kind of coincided with some of the things you said. Uh, immorality, which also coincided. Uh, you gave some specific areas uh, in that. And then also um, apathy and complacency, which I think is again, always been an issue and unfortunately always will be until Christ comes back and there will be no room for apathy then. And then I, uh, in summary, I talked a bit here about um, inclusivity and we don't want to be inclusive of sin and wickedness. In fact, we're supposed to stand against those things. And it's specifically what's going so pervasive that's on my heart in our our culture, our nation, and I believe it's even bleeding within into the church. And that is LGBTQ lifestyle inclusivity. And we've really got to address these things. I also mentioned briefly censorship and some serious things going on there that will, I believe, come to to bite us as a nation and within the church. And then also last is, um, before you corrected me, Lane, I did share that God was our greatest threat. And then you corrected me. It's like, well, actually, it's because people are unrepentant. And that becomes our greatest threat as we live before a holy God who does judge the nations, again, according to Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10, and uh, in other scriptures. So, Lane, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for helping there at the end to get practical here. Um, All is not lost, but I believe that we have to be fervent in the things of the Lord right now, and we cannot let up on the gas, and we have to do everything we can in terms of our own walks first, secondly, our families, and then also, of course, within our churches, and then making as much influence more broadly as we can. So thank you, Lane, and thank you for joining us for this edition of Insights. Remember to subscribe to Forerunners of America at Rumble, because I don't know how much longer we're going to be at YouTube in light of the things that we talk about here at Insights on a regular basis. So go to rumble.com and put in Forerunners of America, all one word in the search bar, and you'll find us. And please subscribe to us at Rumble, and we will keep posting it here at YouTube as long as we can, as well as some other 
uh, platforms. So thanks again for joining us, and I look forward to being with you next time on Insights.